hungry. Anybody else hungry? What are you guys doing for dinner? Hey everyone, and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. I'm one of your hosts. I'm joined today by good friend, co-host, Scott Melson. Hey man, how are you? I'm well. How are you? Ah, just living the dream. Every day. Keeping it alive, one day at a time. Scott, we have two guests in studio, plus uh, half a guest in the corner. We do? Oh, he's not half a guest? He's not, but he's not actually on the show this week. We'll get to him in a second. He's uh, our live audience. A live audience. That's not a bad idea. You like that? Yeah. This is practice for February 5th. That's What's right. happening on February 5th? Uh, February 5th is the Governor's State of the State Address. We'll be podcasting from the Capitol. We certainly hope to see you guys there. We'll have reaction from legislatures, our thoughts on the Governor's Address, and uh, preview the upcoming legislative session. Ta-da! Damn, y'all, that's fancy. We are getting, trying to be fancy. So we are nothing voice, if not fancy. That the, the voice you may have heard in the distance was Haley Jones. Haley is the Deputy General Counsel for COSA, the Cooperative Council for Oklahoma School Administration. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. It's a mouthful, but I just generally tell people I work for the School Administrators Association. That and makes yeah, sense. It's great to be here with you guys today. Great. Yeah. Thanks for so coming. So we know Haley from Twitter, and uh, this is her first podcast experience. It is. I'm very, very excited about it. Here in the upper room. Yes. Do you, We're all do very you, excited. Do you listen to pods, and this is just your first time being on one? I do listen to pods. Favorite podcasts? Um, I like. Um, gosh, I just Tide pods. Yeah, wow, no, you, I listen to. You NBA took way. You took way too long to say let's pod this. I know. Right I, know. Oh, I mean, God, you took, man, took way too so long to say let's pod this. Let's pod this. Obviously, no. Um, Clearly, I listen to NPR stuff, um, NBA pods, just all kinds of random things. Nice. So, which yeah. NBA pod? Um, I listen to the Hoop Collective, okay. ESPN one, and I also listen to one called the Basketball Friends. Check out Down to Dunk, produced here locally. It's on the Thunder. It's fantastic. Wow. Okay. Scott's a big fan. Also joining us today is Effie Craven, uh, who works for the food banks and also importantly is a member of the Let's Fix This Board of Directors. Hi. Thanks for having me. Hey. Super excited. Thanks um, for being here. Thanks for being here. And then uh, our live audience is John Rourke. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. Former guest. And uh, also a board member. So today uh, we wanted to discuss bills uh, and legislation that has been filed. We mentioned last week that the deadline has come and gone for legislators to file their bills for the 2018 regular session. Do we have a grand total on how many bills we have this session? It's, over, it's a couple thousand, right? It's about 2,000. 1,900 plus? Yeah. Nice. A how lot. Ma- how many held over from last session? I thought there were like 2,000 About that from- many. I think there are about 1,000 or so still hanging out from last session, and then I think it was like 1,996 from this session. Wow. So, nice. A lot of bills to track. They have so, their work cut out for them. So roughly <laughs> 3,000 bills that we could could be heard. going to be a long episode today, guys. <laughs> we're going to... We're going to talk through each and every one. Really getting into the weeds here. Going to test your, de- <laughs> test your dedication to the pod. Quite the opposite. What we wanted to do was highlight a, a few categories of bills and then some individual bills that we thought um, are interesting or unique, or at least of note. Uh, and or crazy. At, or cr- maybe, yeah, perhaps misguided. Or we are uninformed on the subject. And perhaps the person who filed it is also uninformed. And at the uh, suggestion of John Rourke, we are going to... I've got a little uh, chart here where we will each... We're just going to vote. We will record, uh, place our bets with no money involved, if they will actually 
fully pass. That means pass all the hearings and be signed into law by Governor Fallon. This is a yes-no thing. What do our guests get if they win? What do they get? I mean, I think our prize uh, of choice is fix a, this tote bag, of a, course. A beautiful let's fix, fix this tote bag for all of your uh, work and social Total needs. needs. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Since we have a guest here that works in education, Haley, have you... I assume you've been reviewing all the education bills. What have you found? Anything of note? There are a lot. So there are about, we have, I think, 251 on our master tracking list right now. And that's basically just education bills, shell bills, doesn't really touch on any of the multitude of revenue bills that are out there. Um, that's actually a little bit down for us. Typically, we would have around 500, 400 bills. But I think because it's the second year of this legislative cycle, there just aren't as many so, so they normally have 500 education-related bills in a typical well, session? Well, and that's the crazy thing and something that I didn't really realize until I started this job is just exactly how many different areas of law affect education. I mean, in addition to just the typical like education policy bills related to the curriculum and, and things that happen in the classroom, there's bills about anything that touches like the Oklahoma tort, anything to do with torts, anything to do with building or construction, um all kinds of various funding bills that could affect because schools get funding from like seven different sources. Um, and when you say, level. when you say you're not including the revenue bills, do you mean you're not even including that tally, uh, all the bills that have been proposed for like teacher pay raise and those sorts well, of things? Well, we, and we do have the um, teacher pay raise bills, I think for the most part on our list. And that was interesting to me because last year I remember there were like 17 teacher pay raise bills just at the beginning of session. And I think on this list here, I've only counted a a handful, like five or fewer. Um, And I don't know if it's because the step up plan has teacher pay raise included, or if people are just feel like it's not going to happen at this point. I am a little bit surprised going into an election year that there aren't more teacher pay raise bills filed. Um, Sure. But those pop up during session too. Really popular to, uh, go home to your constituents and say, I proposed a bill for a teacher pay raise. I couldn't get 75 people to vote for it, but, Absolutely. Uh, but I put that bill out there. Absolutely. And, and with no funding. Mechanism. The interesting thing about those is they're always, it's always a bill that says you're going to give a raise, but there's never anything tied to it about where that money comes from, which right. is obviously a very important detail. So. It really, I mean, I think a lot of people forget that everything that happens with the budget is like a game of dominoes. Like it's all interrelated. So rarely is certainly not for the last decade or so in Oklahoma, has there been a chance for us to just add on something new? So now if we're going to fund something new, that money has to come from something else, which then that hurts those people. And we're kind of at the point where we just can't hurt each other anymore. Right. And I, and I think it does, I think it is important to remind folks that maybe you're tuning into us for the first time or really kind of starting to engage with the legislature for the first time, Oklahoma, by our state constitution, we are not allowed to run a deficit. So I think sometimes the question comes up, well, you know, the, if the federal government wants to spend money, they just spend it. Like, why Why is it so complicated to give teachers a pay raise or to fund some of these other things? And the reason is because in Oklahoma, we have to have a balanced budget. Uh, so unless we are raising taxes, if you want to spend money, you have to cut something else. Right, right. And the latest figures um, that we heard a lot last session and then in the special sessions is to give a $1,000 teacher pay raise 
to um, all the teachers in Oklahoma cost about on the low end, some people will say it's $52 million per $1,000 raise, but on the high end, it's um, a lot of school people think that by the time you add in all the extras, it's really closer to $60 million for when you When you say extras, what do you mean? Um, well, making sure that they have um, their health benefits and, and just, I mean, we're in a critical teacher shortage right now. And so, so now we're at like 1,900 emergency certified teachers. Schools have teacher vacancies um, that they can't fill. So if they were actually able to hire all the teachers that they needed to hire, there would be even more teachers that they would then have to give the raise to. Right. So, so it's, it's not enough just to give a thousand bucks to the teachers we have. You have to hire more and pay them more. I'm a certified Oklahoma teacher, um, and I majored in education at Oklahoma State University. And the reason that I did not enter the classroom was because of the low pay, and that was back in 2009. Uh, My mom is also an Oklahoma teacher, and she's getting ready to retire this year. And if you follow me on Twitter at all, you've probably seen this story, but my mom's getting ready to retire, um, and she's going to make less this year retiring than I made in my first nonprofit job. So I think we have a real problem in Oklahoma with teacher pay, and um, and that funding mechanism is really key to solving it. So just to be super clear, you majored in education, didn't go into the teaching force because of the pay, because you could do better for you and your family working in the nonprofit sector. Yes, that's correct. Which is not typically where people go to achieve <laughs> riches and fame. Yes, that's correct. Okay. She drives a very responsible station wagon, I've seen. So um, none of those Tahoes that people just with money have, apparently, as referenced by a certain representative. Haley, do you guys, are you aware of a lot of these bills before they're filed? Like, are you anticipating them being filed or are they brand new and you just find out? Um, some, some of the bills that are filed, we are aware of ahead of time because sometimes, and we love it when this happens, they'll call and ask us for input or, um, legislators will ask us to help with bill language. Um, sometimes that they don't ask us, um, I would say the majority, they don't, they just get an idea, whether it be from a a teacher or a parent or somebody in their, um, district, one of their constituents. Um, and so we don't really find out about it until they are released, but, and I've only been doing this for, I'm in my third year, I guess I was a teacher for five years before going back to law school and now working at COSA. Um, and even in just the, you know, three sessions that I've been around, you can kind of tell there's always those kind of hot topics that, that um, a lot of bills are filed in regards to. And so you see kind of the same types of bills every year, um, even though there are slight variations depending on what's going on. Any of the bills you think have a particularly good chance of passing this year? Um, well, Gosh, I mean, there are a lot of different, um, there's a lot of bills this year I thought was kind of interesting related to charter schools and virtual schools. Um, so that's kind of become a hot topic. There was a, um, there was an, an issue, there's an issue, especially with the virtual schools. And I, I'm not opposed to virtual school or to school choice per se, but I think that there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. And I think the concern for people that are involved in the traditional brick and mortar education system um is just the there's we're already dealing with so limited funding um and then when you bring in these other schools that just is more schools to add to the pot that you then have to divide up the pie and um so some of the funding issues there 
are concerned. And obviously you want to, you know, you want to make sure that students are getting the best education that they can. And so there's a question, particularly, particularly with some of the virtual charters, they don't have the same attendance requirements. Um, it's hard. There's not a lot of information out there about virtuals as far as, I mean, we know that their, their graduation rates are like 30% or something, which if there was a traditional Whoa. public school in Oklahoma that had a graduation rate of 30%, it would be closed. That's crazy. I had no idea that yeah. it was that low. And, and so the people that are proponents of them would say, well, it's a different, it, we're very transient. People come in sure. and out all the time. And, and that is true. But they're still a public school. They're receiving public dollars. I think that they should be held to the same accountability standards as traditional public schools are. And so there are some bills out there this session that are just trying to get more data on. It's just, it's hard because they're not required to provide all of the same information that the public schools are. So there's a couple of bills, um, task force to really look into virtuals, look into their funding because there are some nonprofit uh, or I'm sorry, for-profit um, virtual charter schools in Oklahoma that receive a substantial amount of funding from out-of-state interest. And um, there's all kinds of rumors about how they're spending their money, um, incentives that they give to teachers, incentives that they give to parents and students, and just things that, um, you know, they're, like we said, their attendance requirements are not the same. Their performance, um, most of them are not doing as well as the majority of traditional public schools. And so why has no one branded this as cash for flunkers? It's for profit that are giving incentives to students cash for flunkers. That's I mean, I think I don't, I don't want to speak for you Haley or your organization, but I think part of the answer would be at least from some of our politicians that the market is really the answer, right? Like it's, for-profit schools must be a part of the solution to the education problems we face in Oklahoma because by introducing the so-called free market, you're automatically going to make it better and more efficient. Right, but the but free market economics doesn't necessarily apply to the way the schools work. But see, the people that don't are not involved in the education industry, they don't understand that. And so we deal with that constantly from outside entities that think, well, gosh, um, our school these schools aren't working, so we'll just... We'll do school choice. We'll um, allow them to have vouchers to go to a better school, and that will make public schools better, right. not realizing that it is a totally different system. Right. I mean, one of the arguments that you hear all the time, right, is that we need to we need to shift resources away from so-called failing schools and put them towards schools that are, quote-unquote, succeeding. That's what the market would say that you should do when I think the preponderance of evidence would show that, no, actually the way you fix failing schools is by giving them more resources, not less. Well, it's like saying, right. let's take food away from starving children and give it to people, children that are healthy because yeah. they're doing better with their food. Right. That doesn't help the starving kids. Right, right. And so, I mean, I can't, you know, I, don't, you know, I, haven't, I haven't talked to legislators about this, but I suspect that part of the reason is that they, they would say, well, yeah, these for-profit schools are a great addition to the Oklahoma education market um, because they can do a better job for less cost and they're more efficient. Um, but they're not apparently looking at things like graduation rates. Um, I, th I think one of the main problems is a, a failure to understand the role of markets, that markets are really good at matching up supply and demand. They're not so good at, at doing sort of public work. Um, and you know, the goal of the education system is not to turn a profit and it's not to match up supply and demand for education. It's to, it's to educate our future workforce and educate our citizens and make sure that they're able to contribute to our economy and to our communities and, and, you know, hopefully live happy, healthy lives themselves. Um, so I think, you know, looking for a market answer for something that's just a lot more complicated than that and that, that doesn't match what markets are built to do is sort of problematic. 
Absolutely. And I think that really it goes back to what is your philosophical view of the purpose and the value in education anyway. I mean, Mark Twain said, out of public schools grows the greatness of a nation. Um, Public schools are required to provide an education to any and all, whether they're citizens of this country, whether they are poor, whether they're rich, whether they have parents, whether they don't. I mean, it's it's so important. And Oklahoma's public schools educate 90% of Oklahoma students. And I just think that we need to make sure that they're all funded adequately and we are considering the very, I mean, school choice is great. If you want to put your child in a private school, you make the decision to do that, you pay for that, that's great. If you want a virtual school is great for some kids, kids that are involved. I talked to a superintendent recently in one of the metro area schools that they have a student who goes to a virtual school through their local public school because most of the local public schools do have virtual offerings because she lives in Nashville and she's pursuing a country music career but it was important to her to graduate from her local Oklahoma high school because she sees the value in her community and wanted to do that so she's taking classes virtually students that are heavily involved in sports things like that I mean yeah it's it's great for some students but we do need to look at the accountability and make sure that those schools that are receiving public dollars are held to the same standards as any other public school. Totally agree. Totally agree. I did, I want to shift gears here, um, not move away from education, but I had a question for you. You know, one of the things we heard a lot about um, for several years, but especially in session last year, um, was talking about the extent to which administrative costs and consolidating administration may be certainly a large part of the funding crisis that education in Oklahoma faces. From what I've read and looked at, I don't really feel like the data bears that out. Um, you represent um, the Educators uh, Administrators Association, right? Yes, um, absolutely. How, how do you guys counter these claims that uh, administrative costs are out of control and that's where the funding crisis comes from? Yes, they're, they're, you are absolutely correct that that is such um, a red herring and an issue that people throw out when they don't want to add more funding to schools. They just say, oh, well, if we could just cut administrator salaries or you know, get more money into the classroom, then that'll fix things. Um, There's already, and I think a lot of people don't know this, there are already state statutes that tell you what percentage of funding a local school district is allowed to spend on administrative cost. And out of the over 500 school districts in the state, as of last year, all of them but 10 were meeting those requirements. Um, When you look at total school funding spent by the state, this was in um, Superintendent uh, Hoffmeister's budget presentation last year, total administrative costs for the state of Oklahoma in public schools were less than 4%. Um, that seems pretty low. Yeah. If you took, if you combined every school administrator in the state and just, you combined all the schools, you had one school district, you paid one superintendent, it would be barely enough to give teachers a, about like an $800 raise, I think 800 to a thousand dollars. So administrative costs, we want, we want our schools to be run efficiently and we want, obviously we want as much money to go into the classroom as we can, but the, the fallacy that, oh, if we just, you know, combine schools, consolidate administration, cut administrator pay, that there would be enough money to actually substantially get more operation dollars is just not true. So just to play devil's advocate, you know, like, let's say you did that. Let's say that you got rid of all the school districts and you had the school district for the state of Oklahoma with one superintendent and one system of administration. Um, 
what I guess what's the benefit to not doing it that way? What's the benefit to having as many school districts as we do with as many different, you know, kind of levels of administration? Well, I think that um, people would say that oftentimes, and especially in rural communities in Oklahoma and in other states, places that are largely rural, your largest employer in those rural communities is either something healthcare related and then the school district. Um, a lot of times when we see schools close, the community really kind of withers on the vine after that. Um, and and going to a large school or a small school, we want to talk, we have people that want to talk about school choice. That's a choice too. Some people want their children to be um, raised in really small schools where you know everybody and you, um, every school district now has a locally elected school board um, voted on by the people in that district. So that's accountability right there where you, you get to choose the people that sit on that local board and make those decisions. And so I think that if you were to consolidate down to one district like the state of Hawaii does, you would lose a lot of that direct accountability to the people. And honestly, I mean, you wouldn't really be losing jobs. It's not like, oh, all the other 400 superintendents would be gone now. They would just have different titles. They would still be doing things the same way. It wouldn't really change the function of how schools run. It would just um, provide, I guess, PR for PR purposes, you could say, well, we consolidated schools and now we're going to save a little bit of money. Sure. Let's shift gears now. And Effie, you mentioned that there you saw a number of bills that have been filed about government reforms. Yeah, there are a lot of bills this session filed on uh, fixing structural issues with the state budget, uh, changing some of our election reforms to make elections and voting either easier or harder or change certain how certain positions are chosen in the state, whether they're appointed or elected. Um, I think that the fact that there are so many of those types of bills this session really speaks to the fact that legislators are aware that there's a problem um, and they have all kinds of different ideas for how to solve that problem and what solutions are, but they have filed probably hundreds of bills in in the you know the state budget reform act the state finance reform act things like that right um i mean i think on a personal level that's really exciting right like i think there's a number of things that we talk about often or people bring up about how to change elections how to change funding kind of all these kind of government operational things and my my sense is that every session there's a lot of these bills that are filed and just don't go anywhere i know senator holt has filed a lot of election reform bills over the years and not much has changed We've, things are in the works but um were there any that you saw that you think might have legs this session well this is sort of a related answer one thing that i think is funny is i always wonder so many legislators file bills with the same title um and i always wonder if they get their feelings a little bit hurt that they feel like you know, they were sort of specially selected to file a bill and then filing deadline comes and they see that 15 other people filed the same bill. It's like show them to the Oscars and you have the same dress yeah. on as somebody else. Yeah, I always I always <laughs> laugh a, bit, a little bit when they all have the exact same title for their bill and it's like, okay, I wonder if you thought that, you know, they were sort of the only one. That being said, I do think that a lot of the, there's quite a few bills called like the State Finance Transparency Act or something like that. And a lot of them are shell bills at this point, so it's hard to know what is in them. But I think that some of those could have legs. Um, when, when you say shell bill, can you say what a shell bill is? A shell bill is the title and nothing else. So it might say the Oklahoma Education Act, and, and that could mean anything. And that's all you know. That's all that they file. Um, and there's there's out of the 1,900-plus the bills that were filed for this year, there's hundreds of them are shell bills that just have a title and nothing else. Haley says she has a favorite one. What yes. is it? 
My favorite shell bill, it is related to education because that's what I track. It is the School Sunscreen Act of 2018. Oh, that is a good one. Wait, so there's a... You'll probably track that one as well. And there are actually three different bills this session that have been filed relating to sunscreen in schools. So the sunscreen bill is a shell bill at this point? Well, one of them is a shell. There's one on the Senate side that has... Actually, there are two on the Senate side that have language. Are they are they requiring or prohibiting the application? They of sunscreen? are allowing. Um, they are allowing parents uh, parents to send a written permission note to the school and say, "My student is allowed to self apply sunscreen." Or if the student is unable to apply themselves with written permission, a school administrator or school nurse or school employee can apply. Which that, as an attorney that works in school law, that makes me a little bit nervous. But there are instances for small children or children with disabilities sure. where they would need good um, good intentions. Yes, that can and I, I, saw I can this, already I saw these bills and I was like, what? Why are we? This is just not something you think about. Like, what we have to give like put in law that they have permission to put on sunscreen? That seems like a no brainer. But I can already see some eighteen year old senior who's got a like twenty three year old teacher who's just out of school going. Hey, uh, my note says my parent says you have to put my sunscreen on. No. Uh, but see, that, don't even joke about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's the fun thing with shell bills is that so often the titles are really broad. And so you can you can guess with something like the Oklahoma Budget Reform Act, like does this mean something good or something really bad? Um, so that's part of the fun with shell bills is that you can you can sort of use your imagination and if to you know the author. You yeah, to, if you know the author, you can think about what that bill might look like in a month or two. Right. So um, let's maybe let's pivot from education, government. Scott, you had some healthcare bills you wanted to bring up. Uh, well, there's so there's one bill, House Bill 1013. Uh, is coming up this uh, this session. This is a holdover bill from last session. Uh, this is the uh, APRN, which is Advan- Advanced Practice Registered Nurse Bill. Uh, so that would nurse grant- practitioners. Nurse practitioners, yeah. Uh, that gives full practice authority, or so-called full practice authority, to nurse practitioners. And don't say I wanted to bring this up. You put it on the list. <laughs> it was my list. You asked to share it. Um, <laughs> as a member of the healthcare provider community... Um, so this was designed to allow nurse practitioners full practice authority to to do more. That is what on that is what that's what the nurse practitioners would say. With yes. the with the intention that, like in Oklahoma, we have a dearth of healthcare providers, particularly in rural areas, and this would help bolster that. We don't have to have physicians. We can have nurse practitioners who are already providing lots of the primary care in those areas. Let's them do it without having to have a physician sign off on their notes. <laughs> Uh, but earlier, before we started recording, you told me some uh, inter- interesting information about how that has played out in other states. Yeah. So, you know, and I mean, full disclosure, you know, it's all, we have all the like, cards on the table. So I'm a physician. Um, I practice in primary care here in Oklahoma City. Um, and this has been an issue that's, I mean, this has been an issue that's been discussed and uh, at some level for probably the last 10 years. I mean, I remember hearing about this my first year in medical school, and that was... Oh Jesus, that was eleven years ago. Um, so it's been it's been around for a long time, you know. So one of the there's there are several several arguments that you know people make. And I should say that there are very passionate feelings on both sides of this issue. There are nurse, practi- nurse practitioners who argue very passionately in favor of what they call full practice authority, um, which is kind of another way of saying unsupervised practice. Um, there are physicians who feel just as passionately that that's um, 
a really bad idea. There are a lot of people who I think are much closer to the middle on both sides. So that's the first issue. Um, one of the reasons that this gets um, brought up so often, it's been brought up, I want to say there's 32 states that offer some measure of uh, unsupervised practice for nurse practitioners and PAs. Um, there are 12 states, of which Oklahoma is one, that require some level of supervision. Um, the arguments that are commonly made by nurse practitioners and their professional associations are that, one, they can fill a what is a drastic and growing shortage of primary care needs in uh, the United States, particularly in rural areas. But can they apply sunscreen? I think that, yeah, they, they absolutely can. Without question, they, cer- they certainly can. Um, they can even talk to you about what kind of sunscreen would be best. Um, so one that they could fill is shortage of primary care provider positions that are open across the country, but particularly in rural areas. Two, that they can do this um, in a way that's much more cost effective than physicians. And three, that they can do it without compromising the safety and quality of care that is received by patients. So... If you look nationally in states where this has been act- enacted, it um, some of those states are rural, just like Oklahoma. Their shortage of primary care providers in rural areas is not gone. It's not like all these nurse practitioners that get full practice authority are moving to the smallest rural towns and setting up shop and filling those holes. Right, because um, if you can do more, you're not going to necessarily move to Godibo. You're you're going to move to Edmond. Right. So that's the I think I think a reasonable question to ask is. If this was to pass, and the point is to provide better or easier access to primary care in rural areas, is is that going to happen? The second thing is that they can do this in a way that's more cost effective than a physician. One of the big argue, one of the big reasons for saying that um, they're more cost effective is, quite frankly, they're not paid as much. Um, and you can argue whether that's right or wrong, but in states where they've had full practice authority for a number of years, there are several states that have legislation for pay parity now. So they're saying, hey, we're doing the same job as doctors. We should make the same amount of money, which is a whole really kind of a whole separate discussion, but it eliminates the argument for being more cost effective. Can I ask a question? Yeah. So why um, why is it nurse practitioners as opposed to like physician's assistants? PAs. So that's a great question. Um, the nurse practitioners traditionally are are viewed as being more independent. So when you go to PA school, most PA schools are within a college of medicine. So like at OU, um, the OU Physician Assistant Program is within the OU College of Medicine, which is the same school that trains the medical doctors. Um, you graduate as a PA and your training is basically kind of the same. You do didactics, you do clinical hours, and that's probably going to be pretty similar to any PA program you go through, you go to throughout the country. If you're a nurse practitioner, and this is getting into territory that a lot of physicians, I think, take issue with, nurse practitioners offer degree programs that are quote-unquote specialized. So you're a family practice nurse practitioner, you're an acute care nurse practitioner, you're a pediatric nurse practitioner, Etc. Etc. Infectious um, diseases. What? Right. And so there's there's a I think a thought that they can function a little bit more independently than a PA. A nurse practitioner. The thought has been, or the argument has been, they graduate knowing how to do the area in which they've been trained. Whereas PAs finish PA school, will typically go work for a physician 
and it might be a primary care doctor, it might be a cardiothoracic surgeon, but they spend the next months to years learning how to do the things that the physician with whom they work wants them to do. Does that answer your question? Yes. Then, once they've been doing it for a number of years, they should be pretty skilled and adept at doing whatever it is they do. At that point, maybe they could go on to do their own thing. Can we address the elephant in the room that healthcare costs would be greatly improved if we expanded Medicaid in Oklahoma? I mean, you'll get no argument from that on me, like at all, well, like none. The, yeah. If we expanded Medicaid, the problem is that we've missed the boat. Like at this point now, it would cost the state more money than we would save if we expanded. And the other hardship, had we expanded at the beginning, it would have been beneficial and would have lowered, it would have improved access at least and maybe lowered some healthcare costs for Oklahoma. The downside was that at the very beginning uh, of the ACA, the New England Journal of Medicine ranked Oklahoma as the state least equipped for Medicaid expansion due to a shortage of primary care physicians. I do wonder if, you know, the New England Journal of Medicine is obviously very prestigious, but their name is not doing them any favors in the middle of the country. <laughs> we need, the you know what? That's, that's a great point. I had actually, <laughs> actually hadn't thought of that, but I think it's probably true. <laughs> should, so perhaps we should start the Great Plains Journal of Medicine. Right. We Just, oppose it based entirely on their findings because of the name of their journal. Right. <laughs> so we would have articles about like the... Um, longitudinal effects of mashed potatoes on the liver and <laughs> things that's uh, is that your shell bill for 2018 that's Andy? right yeah the mashed potato bill of 2018 so by the end of session we expect a full report on the longitudinal effects of mashed potatoes, potatoes. on liver function right i don't okay. know if that has any impact on liver <laughs> function um over the long term depending on how much butter is in your mashed potatoes it absolutely would Ooh, yeah there we go the hepatological effects of uh, deconstructed potatoes. Yeah. I'm just going to yeah. say there are worse bills out there. Like that probably wouldn't be the craziest bill. Yeah. Right. So we're going to do uh, one last quick section of bills. Uh, talk about uh, alcohol and marijuana bills. And we'll lump those together. And then we're going to do a lightning round. Scott, I saw you researching earlier. And, and to help listeners, uh, there's a, I think, a relatively new service called Legiscan. It's awesome. L-E-G-I scan legiscan like lego but with an eye that's confusing yeah <laughs> let it's like lego scan but it's legiscan it's like legislature but with scan instead of chur i bet more of our listeners do legos than legislatures fair enough fair enough Just all right so legiscan.com uh it's a um you can search for bills based on keyword so earlier i searched for the word feral we'll come back to that in a second uh, but you can search for mental health you can search for Education, teachers, sunscreen, sunscreen, whatever it is you want to search for. Uh, that's pretty handy. Potatoes. Potatoes. I'm searching right now. And uh, and then you can also track bills on the website. So it's a, a handy site. I used it last year. Um, it is free. I don't know who runs it. I'm not. I'm just saying it's handy. We don't receive any money from them yet. No bills currently under consideration involving the word potato. I, I think we've lost out on any donations from the potato lobby at this point. Scott, let's talk about alcohol and marijuana bills. I saw you researching some of the alcohol bills earlier. Yeah. What did you find out? So, uh, one, there are a lot of them. Uh, there are m- most of them are shell bills right now. Um, a couple that are a couple that are interesting. Uh, Senate Bill thirteen thirty two kind of cracked me up. This is uh, no alcohol or establishment that sells alcohol being within three hundred feet of a church or a school. 
um, the bills that limit like those always those always just crack me up because it's like at three hundred and two feet you can get pissed as fast as you want, but at two hundred and ninety eight you are too close. Right. You know what I'm saying? Um, so that that one just uh, that caught my eye. Um, there are a couple that um, regulate how alcohol can can be sold, specifically like by the drink. So there's, if I'm reading this right, Senate Bill 1336 um, defines a serving of alcohol as two ounces and puts what look like some pretty stringent requirements on what happens if you as a bar like are selling, like you can't sell mixed drinks that contain more than one serving of alcohol. Would this limit like uh, a Long Island iced tea? Right. That's exactly. I mean, that's that's or the Hawaiian Dons. Have you guys ever been to Hawaiian Dons? So yeah. So I, w- I wonder if that means you can't have a double, right? Right. And it's and not it, mixed though. Yeah. And it also and now hey, this is like I'm listen, I'm, a, I'm a doctor, not a lawyer. So maybe there's something in the legislative language that I'm missing or misinterpreting. Uh, but that's you can rest assured. Uh, my drink of choice at my local watering hole is a uh, Manhattan, which has absolutely more than two ounces of alcohol in it. So you can rest assured I will be following that Senate bill closely. So are so, they just saying it needs to be like like build a separate drinks? So, like wouldn't that make bars more money, but ultimately make it burdensome on a consumer? That's possible. Like Interesting. Right. Interesting. Based on my search, there are 141 bills currently eligible to be heard that contain the term alcohol. Um, some of them are involved juvenile delinquents and self-defense there's, and sales tax and all that. But there's a couple others that I didn't really understand the point of view. There's, so there's some bills that allow uh, shipping of wine. Yeah. Out of wine. Out of wine. Yeah. Which I've I've been lobbying for. I love wine. I've been lobbying for. But they're interesting because they limit, like, so you've got, a, there's a winery, let's say, that's in Napa, and you really enjoy their wine. You can order, but you're limited to six cases annually. And six cases is a lot of wine. I'm not saying that I would order more than that, but I'm just curious, what's the reason for saying I can only buy six cases instead of seven or 10 or whatever, right? I mean, obviously, you don't, Maybe they're like, worried you'll resell it. That's what I said. Right, but I could I could resell I That's could resell also. I, it is illegal, but I could resell four cases as easily as I could resell seven. Like why six cases? Like what's does, the... Napa, <coughs> does Napa export anything besides wine and auto parts? Oh, that was <laughs> no no no, but I'm ching for you. All right, um, marijuana bills. Yeah, so Senator Yen uh, has a bill that would seek to pretty heavily regulate uh, the medical use of marijuana. It uh, defines who can prescribe it. It defines what conditions for which it can be described and lays out penalties for uh, patients or prescribers that are found to be violating uh, violating the law in terms of medical marijuana. It's just... And I, so it, the reason for this is because the state question that will be before voters in June, it, it doesn't... It doesn't stipulate any specific medical conditions it's just really anybody and it leaves it up to the medical provider to determine if based on their individual medical condition whatever it might be if that patient would benefit from medical marijuana and senator yin is following what other states have done and trying to enumerate certain conditions and the list that he's provided looks pretty similar to what i recall from california and colorado other states reading through it i i don't i i I don't think it seems unreasonable or, or onerous to me. Right. 
interesting to note, Senator Kim David, who's the chair of the Senate Appropriations Committee, has said that she does not think that medical marijuana passing will result in any tax revenue for the state just because of the way that the the law would be structured and and the fact that it's limited to medical marijuana. So she didn't necessarily give her opinion on on whether that was a good idea or not, but she did say that that may not result in any additional revenue for the state. Yeah, she said that at the uh, the OK Policy uh, annual budget summit, which uh, Effie and Haley and I all attended this week. I thought it was interesting as well, and I, I thought about it, and I don't because I don't know if there will be sales tax on that. I mean, surely it's. She, she said something about a contract with surrounding states about not taxing prescriptions. Um, oh. So I think it had something to do with the fact that it's, it's specifically medical marijuana and that the state has agreed to not tax prescriptions in some way. Interesting. How, I mean, what a, what a flip because... Disclaimer, I know very little about what I'm talking about right, right but now. I mean, We there, need to... There, there's a number of folks who are really feel like medical marijuana or legalization of marijuana in some capacity is the answer to Oklahoma's budget problems. In fact, uh, gubernatorial candidate Connie Johnson, when she was doing her phone calls, she called me and that was her whole thing was like, this is the golden goose that will fix our budget. And I, I told her, Connie, I appreciate your effort here, but I, you got to give me more than that because I don't, for one, it's not going to fix everything. And two, you need a bigger platform. But, um, and so if there's people that are like running for governor based on a platform that this is going to fix our budget woes to have someone else whose job involves like crafting the budget for the state to say we might not get anything out of it is a pretty that's a big discrepancy in in ideology there is also at least one bill uh coming in the session that is intended to uh create a uh agricultural hemp industry in right. oklahoma and is there are some Mickey people Dollins? that that's Dollins and Eccles. It's got a co-sponsor. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I think that as much as marijuana, there is uh, a thought that the industrial production of hemp could provide significant tax revenue. I guess our climate, particularly in Western Oklahoma, the panhandle is ideally suited for hemp cultivation. Um, also, I need to go back and correct myself. I looked at the text. I uh, was kind of trying to pre- prepare for today. The bill that stipulates how much alcohol can be in a drink is in a subsection that talks about basically saying bars can't use like they can't try to stimulate someone to purchase and or consume more alcohol by increasing the amount of alcohol in a drink without also increasing the price so they can't they can't basically bars can't try and get you drunk so that you will buy more booze they can't co like they can't try and you know i guess not maybe not coerce but like they can't try to for the price of a right exactly i wonder if very many bars are doing that though you know it's Uh, not the bars that i go to yeah me neither (laughs) i'm gonna charge you for that double come on have you been to stillwater oklahoma that yes i went to school there so yeah i can see where where you're coming from there it's been a minute College bars are an exception. There are... My husband and I, once, who's our live audience here, once visited a bar in Arizona that had been done by Bar Rescue. Was it good? Half of it was good. <laughs> the part that was on TV... The bar part was good. The rescue... Was pretty good. <laughs> the other part, though, they sort of just like left how it was, and it was real weird. So, lightning round. <laughs> um, so, we're going to discuss... I've got... 
I have six bills listed here, some of which we've mentioned earlier, some of which we haven't. I will give a, we'll have a very brief discussion and then everyone can kind of chime in on uh, whether or not, yes or no, you think this will pass and be signed by the governor. Whoever has the most correct will receive one let's fix this tote bag. Does everyone understand the terms of this? Even though Effie's husband has won a tote bag, she is still eligible to win one of her own. Right. It's by contestant, not family. Right. Or yes. household. Not by household, right. <laughs> Correct. I will record this and I will tweet the photo of our score sheet so that we can be held accountable. The first bill will be from Senator Dom. This is the bill pertaining to all wildlife in Oklahoma, establishing them as the property of the Almighty God. I assume he infers, the, he's implying the Christian God. Now, there's been a lot of outcry on social media about this, some of which is probably undue. It's easy to make fun of things like this. His response was that there was some concern that game wardens were perhaps getting a little too big for their britches and implying that the way the law is written right now, that wildlife is the property of the state of Oklahoma, which is different than the people of Oklahoma, uh, and that he would be open to changing the language to reflect the people of Oklahoma. But nevertheless, the law he proposed establishes that wildlife are the property of the almighty god uh i'm gonna say this will not pass i'm saying no scott what say you it is absolutely going to pass scott says yes effie craven i think this bill doesn't get a hearing in committee and dies that's a no Haley jones first of all i would just like to point out that we're looking at like a 600 million dollar budget hole let's let's remember that when we think about about this bill, but I agree with Effie. I don't even think it will get heard in committee. I don't know that there's any costs associated with determining who owns the wildlife. It's valid point, Andy. Valid point. You Birds guys have of the way sea. too much faith in the Oklahoma legislature. Birds of the sky. The costs besides the time it takes our legislators to consider this bill. I, I will say, no, I know, I won't say anything. I'm going to hold on to my thoughts for just a minute. Next, next item is the raw milk bill. Effie, please educate us on the raw milk bill. I really love this bill. My bill, my background is in public health, and this bill came up a few years ago. It came up across the country, um, allowing the sale and, and I guess drinking consumption of, uh, consumption of raw milk, i.e., unpasteurized milk. And in West Virginia, they passed this bill, and to celebrate, they drank <laughs> some raw milk on the floor, and then they all the legislators got sick. And it's just a really wonderful <laughs> lesson of public health. And this bill is back again this year, the raw milk bill of Oklahoma. Take me home, country road. All right, so raw milk bill, will it pass? Effie, you go first. I think this bill was up last year and it didn't go anywhere. And I hope that that's the same outcome and that it doesn't go anywhere. And I think that's what's going to happen. That's a no from Effie. Haley? Do we know who the bill author is? Not that that changes my outcome, but or I, I, to just, what, I like to know. We don't know what committee is assigned to yet, do we? The bill author is Representative Cootie. It's still a no. It's a no for Haley. I also say no. Scott? Yeah, no. The bill goes nowhere. Scott says no. Everyone says no. Man, I hope this passes just for, to prove us all wrong. All right. The, uh, the next bill is uh, apparently another bathroom, quote, bathroom bill. Haley, you mentioned this earlier. Tell us about that bill. Yes. So um, bathroom bill, this is authored by Senator Josh Burkeen, who has attempted to introduce legislation similar to this in the past. Um, this has been a huge issue across the United States. 
um, people who practice school law had been really excited because the Supreme Court was going to take up a case this term dealing with um, transgender students that use the bathroom and whether or not they are prohibited to, to, or whether or not they're allowed to use the restroom of the gender with which they identify or whether they have to use the restroom of the sex um, assigned at birth. And so it, it's a hot topic in public schools, in um, public, you know, government agencies. Um, how do we how do we deal with this and address this issue? And so Senator Burkeen has introduced this bill that says basically that schools have to um, make accommodations for any student who just doesn't is unwilling to use the um, a regular multi occupancy restroom. So like. If there is a girl who doesn't want to use the traditional several stall girls restroom because she feels uncomfortable using that restroom, schools have to make some kind of accommodation for her. Um, And it also provides that if, sorry, I'm trying to find my notes. Um, If a school refuses to allow a student to use a different restroom, then that student has a private right of action and can sue the school for that. Um, I absolutely don't think this bill is going to go anywhere. I would honestly, I'd be surprised if it even got heard in committee. Again, it's just one of those things that we don't need to be focusing on this right now. There are too many, and it's such a sensitive area for schools and schools are doing a great job of handling it already. We don't need to put something in legislation regarding this, especially when we don't know what the court says about that issue right now. That's so interesting. I so my inclination initially was that yes, this will pass because it is limited to schools and and we want to protect schools at a higher level. I'm gonna go with a yes. This is a half-hearted yes. Scott, no, it doesn't go anywhere. Scott says no. Effie, I think this one gets out of committee but never gets heard on the floor. That's fair. That's Man, probably a better assessment. But I'm Effie with the like super specific predictions. I like it. All right. Well, I think sometimes they pass things out of committee as a political statement, and then they just never bring stuff up on the floor when they know it's, you know, a bad idea for a number of reasons. Right. All right. Uh, I could see that happening if it was a different committee, but I think if it's assigned to the Senate Education Committee, it probably won't get out, I hope, Um, but we'll see. Okay, so um, the next bill we're going to discuss involves feral hogs, or feral swine to be more precise. I'll present this one. Uh, in particular, I'm discussing uh, Senate Bill... Man, there's two bills. We're going to talk about Senate Bill 1359 involving feral swine and creating a uh, warfarin or Coumadin-based pesticide trial program. Uh, so, <coughs> Scott, what, did, what do we use Coumadin to treat? Yeah, so Coumadin, Coumadin is the trade name for a generic drug called warfarin. Warfarin was developed as a rat poison uh, about probably 40 years ago. It's used frequently, or in, until recently, it was used frequently in people as a blood thinner. Uh, so this is the, it's an anticoagulant. This is for uh, folks that have uh, AFib, uh, atrial fibrillation. It's very DVT. common. People that have had uh, deep vein thrombosis, people that have had pulmonary embolism. Uh, it's used to anticoagulate them, treat the clot, and then, depending on the clinical circumstance, it's used to keep them from developing blood clots in the future. Uh, it's a very, very uh, tricky drug to use in people for a number of reasons. Um, however, as a pesticide or big animalicide, uh, it's <laughs> it's pigicide, a pigicide, a feralicide. Um, it could be very effective. 
All right, so um, basically this establishes a, a trial program for landowners that can participate and use Coumadin to kill wild pigs on their property, which are a legitimate problem. Last year we passed a bill that would allow hunting of wild hogs from helicopters with machine guns, which is just the ballsiest bill I've ever heard of in my life. Um, and it passed. It was a really great debate on the floor. I happened to watch that day just to see it. So I'm going to say yes, just because I want it to pass, because I think it's hilarious. All right, Scott. Yeah, this totally passes. Scott says yes. <laughs> no, no question. Effie? This passes, but I just, can't we like just neuter the feral hogs or something? I mean, it's, so, it really, I mean, it really is. It's terrible. Yeah. I mean, this it's millions of dollars in agricultural productivity that's lost every year um, because of the way these things tear up fields. They destroy habitats. Oh, like, it's, it's crazy. It's a, it's a, it, it sounds a, silly, but yeah. I mean, it's. I think in all in all seriousness, I think if you are <laughs> someone like me who tries to be environmentally conscious, who tries to be conscious of like you know the ethical um, and appropriate treatment of animals, which I'm very sensitive to. Um, these things are a significant problem. Yeah, yeah. Pumba is not my friend. No, these are Haley. What? How do you vote this on bad this? Bad news. Um, well, I mean, if we're gonna let people shoot them out of helicopters, I feel like this one's probably gonna pass as well. We can also poison them from the yeah. ground. Also, like, how big are feral hogs? Are we like normal pig size, or are they several like, hundred massive? pounds? Yeah, several hundred several, pounds. Okay. And they have tusks. That's the deal. Is uh, they have tusks, and they are aggressive, so they will attack you. Um, so and, we, and they can kill you. They're and, big. Yeah, I would really yeah. just support a secondary pilot project to give grants to veterinarians to like tranquilize dart the feral hogs and then neuter them. That's and all I have. I think use. you bring up. I think <laughs> actually, jerky. I think there may there may be places where that is happening, mm-hmm. or that maybe I know that that's happening in the northeastern United States with the deer population, mm-hmm. um, because the deer population in the northeastern United States is out of control. Um, I've just been watching a lot of Alaska emergency vets, and this is what they do. The show. So. They just introduce the, some I feel wolves. like that could be a second, you know, a complementary policy would be let's yeah, fix the ones who don't get hit with the pesticide or the helicopter machine guns so that they're at least not producing more of themselves. It's really just apocalypse now, but yeah. with hogs. All yeah. right. So we all voted yes for that. The sunscreen bill that Haley mentioned earlier um, that would allow students to apply their own sunscreen or certain school personnel to apply sunscreen. Yeah, um, I, I think that one will pass. I mean, they've got one in the House and the Senate side. I think this is backed by Johnson & Johnson, from what I've heard. It's been introduced in several other states. I don't think school people are going to have a problem with that. I just think it's kind of silly. Does Johnson & Johnson own Coppertone? I don't even know which sunscreen brands they own, but I've, I've heard that they are the ones who are backing this bill. So They're a huge corporation. All right, I'm going to say yes also. That makes sense. Yeah, I think it'll pass. And honestly, I mean, if it gets more kids wearing sunscreen, I'm... I think it's probably good policy, even though the name of the bill is silly. Endorsed by Dr. Melson. Effie? I second Dr. Melson. I think this is a good bill. I think it's good policy. And if we can get more kids wearing sunscreen, whoever applies it, let's let's do that. And I think that the legislature will agree and this will pass. All right. Uh, and then the final one from our lightning round that was more of a flicker, really. But a lightning round um, is about lunch shaming. Effie, this is a bill that you guys are running. 
Sure. This is a bill that uh, that the Oklahoma Food Banks requested in partnership with Senator A.J. Griffin and Representative Mickey Dolenz. And we have been hearing this bill has been happening across the nation in, in different forms um, because we've been hearing about kids who have unfortunately run out of lunch money and are subjected to um, humiliating practices like either having their hands stamped or having to do chores in in exchange for their school lunch or something like that. So we're um, we suggested this bill. Senator A.J. Griffin was gracious enough to run it and is super passionate about the issue. And I think that this is going to pass. I think everybody can can empathize with um, with kids who run out of lunch money, not feeling shamed about that. Haley, what do you what do you think? Um, I, I agree. I haven't read the actual language of the bill, just the summary, but I think that this will pass as well. I can, I concur. I'm going with yes, Scott, and you finally. Yeah, it's going to pass. I used it. We all just said yes because we want it to pass. Um, all no, right, I, so really, just, I really think it will. <laughs> just to summarize, uh, we all think that the lunch shaming, the sunscreen, and the feral hog bills were passed. None of us think that the raw milk bill will pass. And then the and panel I am was the div- lone dissenter. The panel was divided on the bathroom bill, and uh, and the wildlife is God's property bill. So totally, I look forward. It's totally going to pass the next four months. To the language the language is going to get changed, but that it's going to pass. All right, we'll see. So as we move forward towards the legislative session, um, Fe recommended that we remind all of our listeners that you should follow the OKLedge hashtag on Twitter. So it's hashtag OKLeg, L-E-G, OKLeg. Most tweets, not all, but most tweets that are tagged with that, it is really helpful to help stay in the loop. So if you've been trying to follow individual accounts uh, and you want a more efficient way to do that, that's a great way. Also, I if you use Twitter, look at certain people's lists because there are lists. So Haley um, has a list. Haley, what's your Twitter handle? Um, my Twitter handle is Haley Beth Jones, and it's spelled H-A-Y-L-E-Y, so it's kind of long. Um, but I have a list of um, OK Ledge reporters, people that report on the things that happen to the legislature, and then I follow a list of the actual lawmakers. And so if you go to my list, you can find either one of those, and it's great when you're in a hurry and want to see what's happening at the Capitol that day. So this brings us to the end of our podcast. Thank you so much, Scott, as always. Effie, Haley, thanks so much for joining us pleasure remember you can connect with us on twitter and instagram at let's fix this okay scott is at sc melson effie is at effie craven e-f-f-i-e craven uh, and Haley is at Haley beth jones i am at andy okc john rourke in the corner is not yet on twitter but we're working on that you can like our facebook page at facebook.com slash let's fix this okay our website is letsfixthisok.org, and on there you can sign up for our newsletter, read our blog, and uh, look for upcoming events, including our Capital Days in February, March, April, and May. Our podcast is edited and produced by Scott and me, and Let's Fix This is a member of the Mostly Harmless Media Network. Our theme music is graciously provided by local heroes, your friends and mine, the Sugar Free All-Stars. Let's Fix This is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization who strives to educate and equip all Oklahomans to engage with the government. We encourage you to get involved in any way you can. And remember, decisions are made by those who show up.